Hello and welcome to Muse and Metrics. This is your host, Philippa Burgess. This is season four, episode 14, and today's topic is cruising. Uh, I say this as I have now embarked on a 12-day cruise around the British Isles, and cruising is something that is a brand new experience for me. Uh, It's also the first time that my mom's ever been on a cruise, and it is quite interesting to see a whole world of experience unfold and how much can be packed into such a short amount of time. And that said, it's been a bit of sensory overload. And obviously they do that for a reason because people are paying to travel and be on holiday and be entertained and fed. And they just provide this luxury experience while at the same time being efficient in going from place to place to place and having the boat be our home away from home. So the captain always welcomes everybody back in the evening saying welcome home back to the ship after the day's excursions. And it's a lot. It's a lot to take in and it's perfect because you can choose to participate in as much as you want or you can hang back and chill out the option is yours i find that we're doing day on day off as far as our excursions to see places inland in terms of getting off the boat and it's good for me because i can catch up with school and other projects and gives my mom a break and a chance to rest. And she's had some sciatica uh, pop up, which is giving her some extreme back and leg pain, which she's not accustomed to, and it's not particularly welcome. So it's slowing her down. So that extra rest time is quite welcome. So day... One, we got off and went to a swannery and a garden that was just beautiful in the south of England. In day two, the boat went to Guernsey, next to Jersey, which are these two islands uh, south of England, which are part of the UK. And we chose not to get off at the boat in Guernsey and just stayed on and kind of relaxed. And then went to Cork, Ireland and Cobb and went to the Blarney Castle and I kissed the Blarney Stone. So if I didn't have the gift of gab before, now I should have it in spades, according to legend of the castle and the kissing of the Blarney Stone. I didn't know how it worked. I did know that they hold your legs back and then you have to lean back to kiss the stone which is in the wall of the castle Uh, but there was a part of me that felt that I was going to fall through the grates and uh, I definitely did not go upside down to probably the actual stone so uh, ended up kissing the wall and realized that if my concept is to take my gift of gab and figure out how to actually professionalize it and monetize it, that my theme is good is good enough. And it reminded me of a photo that my mom has with her with the queen mother, and she's in her nurse military uniform, and uh, queen mother is planting a tree. In this case, she's holding a shovel with some dirt, and had nothing to do with the hole being dug or the tree being acquired. or, uh, But it was a perfect photo op for her to say that she planted a tree. And so in this case, my kissing of the wall uh, above the Blarney Stone was an idea that, you know, hey, good is sometimes good enough and just get it done. And that should be 
my mantra as I move forward in all of this and the, the fact that I was further ahead than many others who had said, ah, I don't even want to go or I don't want to climb the steps. Uh, so the fact that I got to where I got to and I held on to the bars and had them hold me down and push back under uh, the the wall, I will call that good enough. It uh, is definitely that sort of sense of sensory overload. There's always something going on. There's always multiple things to go uh, on in this type of trip. A lot of older people are on board, which makes a lot of sense because they're retired and they have time, money, and interest to do these things. Uh, I definitely feel like it's an experience that is designed to share with those who you enjoy spending time with, whether it's a significant other, a family, friends. It doesn't feel like a place to meet people, although they do have uh, single and solo traveler meetups to try to create companionship. I find that I spend most of the time with my mom. People are friendly and nice, but not in a super social way. Uh, everybody in that sense keeps to themselves or their closest uh, shipmates. But definitely a good and new experience. And it's got me thinking about data science and my study of geography and spatial data, thinking about how much data they collect and how they need to be tracking the weather and how they need to be uh, managing so many people. There's 3,560 people on board. There's over 1,300 staff members. Uh, I believe that Princess Cruises has five different ships. So I'm on the Regal Princess. And what they do is they move between the Caribbean in the winter months and the uh, North Atlantic in the summer months so that they can avoid hurricane season because these ships are not designed for storms. They are well to get out of the way of weather. And this is a way for them to seasonally kind of know how to avoid certain weather patterns. Although there was a new cruise ship company that had come into uh, doing these tours around uh, the British Isles as well. And they had docked in on La Havre and actually lost their gangplank or their gangwalk. Uh, fell into the ocean. Nobody was on it, but they were having such severe winds and storms that uh, it was not able for them to actually dock uh, the boat because the seas were so rough. So I'm learning all about this, and it's just, it's beautiful being on the water. It's beautiful being around Europe, which is so rich in history or specific, I want to say, uh, England and Ireland and Northern Ireland and Scotland and uh, the north of France are included in this particular adventure. And given the context of just how hard I've been working for the last couple of years and all the transitions I've made, this is nice. It's nice to actually have a holiday, even though it's a working holiday and I have plenty of things to do for school and for work and for other things that I'm involved in. It's also really nice to have this time with my mom and making it a really special memory, which is the brand of Princess and of Carnival Cruises is to make memories that last a lifetime. And I think they're doing a great job of that, especially coming out of the pandemic since cruise lines and just the travel industry in, in general was hit so hard with everybody staying home and not traveling. 
they're just starting to get their sea legs back under them. And I think everybody's happy to be back and feeling that we're generally safe from COVID in the way that uh, we perhaps were definitely not uh, a year or two ago. There's a sense of normalcy coming back to the travel and tourism industry. I think people are ready to get out again and have a holiday. And I think that the companies and people who serve are happy to be back to work again after everybody got hit so hard with uh, the pandemic. And uh, it's nice. They do a really good job of making the guests feel welcome, comfortable, and at home on the ship for the duration of the travels. So we're about a third of the way into this particular trip, and it's been really nice to uh, experience a cruise. I was not someone who was ever sold on the concept before. I never really sought it out. I have friends who do annual cruises and they love them and they speak incredibly highly of the cruise experience. And for one reason or another, I've just not been that motivated to pursue it. And as it was, my cousins are big cruisers. It's what they love to do. And when my mom had mentioned again, uh, after many years of having wanted to go to Ireland and either it wasn't the season or there was a strike that they felt this was the most efficient way for her to do that. And I can say with confidence, she has officially stepped foot in the country of Ireland. And although she only did one of the two days of the Irish trip, I can call it mission accomplished. She got to see it, got to experience it. And I think um, might want to come back another time. But for this particular trip, we did what we set out to do and we accomplished that goal. It just feels like so much has happened in a week in such a short period of time from having a full day of train, 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 train. It took us six trains to get from my cousin's house through London over to Southampton. And that was great, exhausting. We got ourselves to a hotel in Southampton. So we had a full night to rest and know that we were there and that we could prepare the next day to get over to the ship got ourselves boarded, got ourselves settled in. And it was just it's a huge orientation process of where is everything and what parts of the boat connect and which ones don't. So for example, if you go down to the sixth floor on the aft of the ship, it does not go through. If you want to get to the sixth floor in the mid or the front of the ship, you have to go across the seventh floor and then down again. So it, a lot of it's just logistics. So where to eat and what the hours are. Um, but there's so much food around all the time, everywhere. And knowing what time your excursions are and just questions that you can ask to guest services and uh, room service and just they come in and do up your room every day. And just essentially it's a, it's a, it's a well-run ship. It's a well-oiled machine. And it's really nice to see that the people who work here seem to have a lot of joy in what they do and put on a very good face for the public. And it's been uh, something that I enjoy doing. Uh, I definitely can see the value of a cruise to see a lot of places and not feel the need to drag your luggage around. And it's just an easy way to travel. I can see why so many elderly uh, couples are very attracted to cruising as a good vacation option because they can see a lot, but it's definitely an easy way to travel. 
and quite luxurious and you're you're very much pampered in the process and entertained and really they make it so that you can want for nothing on a trip like this and in parallel to that i'm also continuing school i've got a summer semester has started and so i've got two classes i've got my sql uh, some learning databases and I have leadership. I'd done a leadership class in my urban planning degree, and there's one book that crosses over. But I'm actually excited to continue that conversation of leadership. And this one is really challenging us to think about what are we doing with our education? How are we being leaders? Where do we take this? What do we want to do with it? And there's still so many questions that I have in my own life about finding that right intersection between my studies and the work that I'm wanting to create for myself and yet also figuring out how to integrate it with my personal life and what's important to me and how I'm enjoying spending time with my parents and my family. And I have some ideas of what's possible, but within a certain band of reality that I need to address. And so those are the things that I'm step-by-step step considering is how do I take my desire to be close to family and to sort of have the people who are most important in my life stay part of my day-to-day -day life while still pursuing other professional opportunities. And I think this speaks to women in general. These are the things that uh, everybody has to think about, but it hits women particularly hard because of our more well-defined role as caregivers and our need to have a strong family and whether we have children or not there's still relationships that, that we have that define who we are and our purpose and our mission oftentimes is very aligned to our family relationships and some of it's by choice some of it's by circumstance or you could even say obligation but it's something that needs to be considered as we fold in our professional aspirations. And so for me, with this career reset that I'm doing, I'm interested in seeing how employable I am or I am not. And I want to look at that realistically because I've taken on some debt with school that I need to address and understanding, do I work as a contractor? Do I start my own business? Or can I find a team where my skills can be readily integrated and utilized while at the same time also knowing that I have the flexibility to manage my other responsibilities? So those are all things that are circling in my mind to think about where do I go from here? I've got some good skills. I really enjoy the work that I'm starting to do. I'm getting better technologically uh, with the software tools like ArcGIS Pro, like learning my Python coding and getting better at understanding Google Cloud and Google Earth and Google Maps. And just figuring out where do I want to go with all this uh, new technical uh, knowledge and also continuing my language learning and seeing how maths are really coming into play and the importance of statistics and probability and calculus in my studies. So starting to get that learning uh, happening as well. So there's just a ton that I'm interested in learning and interested in doing and I'm very motivated. I'm in the process of applying for a scholarship 
and this one needed letters of recommendation and essays and questions that I need to answer. So I've uh, just drafted a letter of recommendation as my professor had requested. And now I've got to get into writing uh, my essay that I'll submit with my paper uh, that asks about the future of the geoint field. And really wanting to sort of step out and own my expertise at this geoint AI space. And that is what I've defined as my summer project is to look at the entire field of geoint AI and understand what are the key concepts, where are the needs, who are the players, how do they intersect, where are the gaps, where is it going, and just seeing the things that are going on within the field of geoint and geospatial intelligence and spatial data science and computer science and leading into AI and machine learning and seeing kind of how all of those things fit together and are evolving. And so I have sort of a direction of where I want to go and what I want to do. And it's very much aligned with all the things that I'm learning. And I like the way that they're building on each other. Another thing that happened this week that was very affirming is that I had done essentially the equivalent of an internship uh, in 2022. And it was on a real estate development project. And I was basically channeling what I was learning to an emerging real estate developer. And he'd identified a piece of property and we were going through and doing the due diligence on it. And he had a contract on it. I didn't know the details of the contract. Uh, but what I did know is how to read city plans and how to engage with the city council and their consultant and generally move through a process that would help uh, him secure the necessary entitlements. At the end of the day, it became very, very clear to me that the sale price was overpriced for the fact that it was inferred that it would have access to city water and wet utilities when in fact it was not. It was going to be well water and it would need its own uh, septic that would have to be approved by the county and the city and meet the state EPA standards. And we found the vendors who could do that, uh, but it was not going to be without significant investment expense that just did not make the numbers work at all. And it was going to be a push to get the type of density that would make the math make sense. And so I think all's well that ends well, because um, there was kind of a bit of a blow up with the agent and the seller, and they wanted to kind of call the contract and sent like a really aggressive letter that really didn't take into account how thoughtful the developer had been and how much progress had actually been made that they pulled it from him and ultimately that agent was no longer and it got relisted with another agent and ultimately sold for almost three million dollars less than he was contracted under and I think that the new owners are pushing for it to be uh, more of a sanctuary and it was as I understand it bought by a neighboring property who wants to retain it in its natural state and if they do any buildings it's going to be very low density and support their nonprofit mission which I think is good because that area was definitely had very strong environmental controls, which is one of the reasons it was never going to attach to 
city that the water because they'd worked really hard over decades to ensure that that area was going to stay a lot more rural uh, as a result. And that's why it was not going to be something that could ever happen uh, under the current zoning. And that was part of our inquiry and part of what we learned. And it was really nice because when the whole thing, and I'll also call it blew up, he, um, we just gracefully sort of ended my role. And that was the beginning of when I was starting my new semester in school. So I got really busy and he wrapped it up with them and let everything sort of play its course. And I, um, peacefully let it go because I was just kind of on to the next thing and it was nice because he was circling back to say hey let's reconnect and how's things going and just with the fact that the sale finally went through and at that much lower price and in a way that would not be developed and I think that was his biggest fear his biggest fear was not to let this be the property that got away where another developer would actually come in and realize his vision. And so now that that was never going to happen, it's actually, it's an all's well that ends well, because that ultimately is probably is an ideal scene for that particular property is to be more on the environmental protection, low density, low development side of things. Uh, although I think what, we had put together was very responsible and was very sensitive. A very nice compliment that he gave me was that he really learned about stakeholder engagement and how you really take into account who are all of the parties that are impacted by development and who are the decision makers and how do you go through proper channels and get buy-in and move slowly and consistently and listen and fold in people's considerations and concerns and really read the plans to see what decisions are easy or already have been made. And if you want to amend those decisions, who do you need to get buy-in from? Who do you need to have advocate for your plan? and ultimately who alt votes for uh, a change or can authorize it. And so how do you get things approved with that real sort of stakeholder engagement and conversation? And one of the ones I learned was the New York, New Jersey Port Authority really had one of the best case studies for stakeholder engagement where they had over 50 planning sessions and public meetings and discussions about future land use and stakeholder needs. And they were a combination of education, dialogue, feedback, and then they integrate the feedback and then represent it saying, okay, here's what we learned and here's now what we're thinking. And they've evolved their thinking based on those interactions and also helped to evolve the thinking of the stakeholders based on sharing bigger pictures and constraints and visions and working together to see what could be highest and best use of, of land and just taking into account the many stakeholders and their various pain points and needs and considerations to really put together a very comprehensive 50-year plan for the New York, New Jersey port, port. And of my research, it was just one of the best stakeholder engagement plans that I've seen. And it's very easily findable if you look up the master plan 2050 for Port Authority of New York, New Jersey. They just did such a good job with it. And it is something that to me was a kind of a gold standard of how you do stakeholder engagement. Now, obviously they had budget for it, um, but beyond, but, but behind the budget, they also had uh, intention and will and a desire to do right 
um, by their partners. And so their work uh, in that way really showed that that um, was a huge priority. And now I'm getting deeper into my tech learning and my maths learning and I'm finding that it really is just about a little bit every day. And the key with a lot of the things is just the discipline. I have a really long list of things to do, and none of them are hard. It, they just all need a bit of time and focused attention. And so juggling that with the sensory overload that is coming at me on a cruise and on travel dealing with um in the early days just the jet lag and the time change and adjusting i think what has proven in my studies is that i'm still kind of an a and c student which averages out to a b so in this case my grades from my last semester were a b plus when it came to cartography and data visualization because i understand and can do the let's write a paper but I'm not testing really well and my projects are kind of falling behind in this case because I just couldn't come up with the idea um, for what I wanted to do for the final project. So I missed getting his input on how to improve it because we met a couple of times and I was going down the road with another idea and then I just scrapped it and started over. And so I kind of got myself in trouble on that one and then my computer just crashed and all told I just didn't prepare for the final the way that I could have and should have and so that was on me so I ended up with a B plus but that's what I get for agreeing and planning to travel in the middle of the time between when classes ended and my uh, exam period began um, but it also seemed like the only time that I could travel if my mom wanted to get to England for the coronation and just to be there with family, just to sort of experience it from the UK point of view. And time with my family has been amazing. And I just forget because I live so far away from everybody, how wonderful they are and how much I enjoy spending time with them. And that is been such a gift and so you know my grades may not be perfect but I'm getting a lot done in multiple ways and then my role as a Google Women Tech Makers ambassador and my show for Muse and Metrics I think we have a plan for how we're going to move forward so what I've been doing is this audio journal where I share with you my ever-evolving uh, reset and I think that one thing I can say with confidence is that my joy is back and it's taken me some time to get here. And as one of my friends was saying, when you go through trauma, it sort of cycles through and it, you keep experiencing it differently and it keeps coming back. And I think that all of that is true since I felt like I had gone through an enormous amount of trauma but also knowing that I wasn't the only one. I think the pandemic in so many ways impacted all of us. And I am seeing that as it's cycling through, it's becoming less and less of a trigger for me. And I'm able to move forward and feel confident about the future and just really enjoying the moment uh, with all the things I'm doing. And the next thing up for me is my third degree black belt test. I've got to really kind of start digging in on that. But with the show, what I have decided to do is because I can't get my schedule to a place where I can bring guests in. I just, it's too much going on for me in a given week and just the amount of travel that I do it's very challenging for me to even figure out my own time to get my hour to record and and then get in and do my edit it doesn't make any sense for me to try to negotiate that with other people 
But what I'm going to start doing is a more researched program where I can do a deeper dive into technical topics and then we can supplement them with interviews that will end up being bonus content and video content and blog content and other supporting content for the Muse and Metrics brand. And that's going to be the way forward so that we can really do deeper dives around conversations to do with AI and machine learning and databases and data analytics. That's the other thing that I'm doing is I also got the scholarship into the data analytics program. So I'm completing that certificate. And it's actually moving quite quickly. And it's very good about how we use data to answer questions and just explore the data and see what it tells us and make sure that we're uh, thinking in terms of uh, data strategy, uh, design strategy, uh, critical thinking, context, and just basically the foundations of data and data science. That's say, I feel like in this time, in the last year, I have come so far in my understanding of data, data science, technology, being a woman in STEM, being a woman in tech. It is really nice to see that transformation of how I am growing and learning in these technical skills and starting to be able to do interesting things, build interesting things, create, research, investigate, communicate. I think that that's all kind of exciting and that's coming together in a really nice way. And I'm feeling good about that. I feel really good about my technical skills. I knew at the beginning when I set out that there were these general concepts that I'd heard about but I didn't know exactly what they did or how to do them or what was all involved or how they connected and now I'm starting to see what those pieces are and how they all work together and how to actually use them so I knew or as I began my inquiry I started to see sort of within data science there's data science which leads to graphs and charts and an understanding of how to improve process and being able to determine sentiment. And then there's also the mapping piece of it and the spatial data science. Like how do we put this data as it relates to place and also place and time? How does it change over time relative to place? And that's the spatial data. And then I started seeing within the spatial data science how there's aspects of geography and cartography and geopolitics and intelligence and satellite imagery and drone imagery and field collection of data and all sorts of other ways in which uh, Spatial data is gathered, collected, processed uh, through remote sensors, uh, through LIDAR, and uh, other ways where it is looking at topography. And you can also look at the hydrology of water flows. And within the mountain range, you've got the slope, which is the degree of the change in elevation, you have the aspect, which is what direction does the side of the hill or the mountain face. You have hillshade sort of shows it with the, the sun and the shadow. And then you can get pore points and you can measure and calculate how water flows and accumulates based on slope and aspect. And so it's all kind of these ways that the intersection of 
of people and place and elements. Uh, you can also look at agriculture. You can look at political uh, boundaries and economics and the flow of money. And there's just so many different aspects of what can be looked at and analyzed. What I did see, though, is that there seemed to be a bit of a bifurcation between the data analyst and the spatial data analyst. And I'm trying to see where those two can and should be more connected. And now I'm getting a little further along because I'm starting to get into SQL, which is databases. And databases definitely are part of data science as well as spatial data science. And similarly with the programming languages of Python, I'm seeing how that is both part of data science and spatial data science. And then our studio was one of the first ones that I learned and I'd like to get better at R. And then other ones, Java, JavaScript, uh, C++ are all in the wheelhouse of things that I should have a basic proficiency with. And I'd like to get some design software like ArchiCAD and SketchUp and Blender and be able to do 3D modelings and BIM projects. And ArcGIS Pro and Story Maps, just really knowing how to create useful, good-looking maps that actually show that I've got some skill and that is another part of my learning and and then just putting in the maths behind it getting in the real uh, calculus and statistics are part of it and then I'm continuing on with my language learning and so French Ukrainian Russian Dutch Spanish are kind of the languages I'm focused on right now of really being able to get some proficiency in them. And even in a simple way is just seeing a, some French people on the elevator today. And I was with my mom and she's walking with a cane right now. I just in a lot of pain and going quite slowly. And so I looked at them and just said, LA, LA, and kind of waved them off saying, kind of go, go, go without us. We're, don't, don't wait for us. And just small things like that, but just knowing that I can communicate with people in context, even in the simplest ways, is affirming for my language learning. So that that's good. I've been using Duolingo quite a bit, and I really like it. And I Khan Academy is definitely a tool that I'm using for math. And I love Bard and and ChatGPT for interacting with. And I found that I delivered my first paper where we're having a very open conversation about academics and AI. And she wants us to experiment with it. Like we're, we're invited to use it. And she's using a AI detector on our papers. And she wants us to disclose how we use AI. So we're not getting marked down if the AI detector catches it, it's just she wants us to know how that looks on her end. So we don't get in trouble in a future situation if for some reason it would not be allowed to understand kind of where that detection is coming in. And uh, I used it quite a bit on my last assignment and yet it came up as zero on the AI detector. And I don't know if that's because I'd read somewhere that the AI detector is pretty good at chat GPT 3.5, but not in future iterations of it or with BARD. And I tend to use it where I use it for broad. I tend to use it for broad research and then I write my own based on kind of folding in a few things. And then I ask it to make my writing better. And therefore, I think that might be one of the ways that I'm avoiding uh, AI detection is that 
I'm actually writing original things, but then using the AI to make it better. Um, I'm also using the AI to help me understand the scope of the paper and some of the general concepts and terms and sort of help me do some of the initial research. Um, but then I kind of keep the writing as my own original writing. So that may be where I'm okay. But I find that just working with AI as a collaborator is so good. It just gets my brain going. Uh, I think I've always been really good at tackling a blank page, but AI just makes it so much easier just to begin. Um, I have this scholarship that I'm applying for and just to be able to uh, draft a letter of recommendation, which my professor said he'd be happy to provide one, but could I go ahead and, and, and write the draft and AI helped me do it. And I appreciated that. And even in my note to him, I, I mentioned that I'd collaborated with AI because I would have probably not said such glowing things about myself the way that AI was very, uh, positive, uh, and in a good way. I mean, it's, it, it just, it sounded better when they created it versus I created it. So we'll see what he has to say about that. So I've got that scholarship application is coming due. Uh, so I want to get that, um, I want to get that done and out the door and it's, uh, a new summer semester and I've got all my travels and I've got my GeoEnt AI project. And now I want to dive deeper into tech talks, but I want to do it in a way where uh, it's a bit more researched and structured, but still kind of on my own since I'm come to reality that this is my lifestyle and it's not going to change anytime soon. I am constantly in motion and this week even more so as I literally am going from country to country and around all of the British Isles and in a new city every single day. Although I do have the benefit of a floating hotel. So cruising, if you've never done it, I highly recommend it. If you have done it, then you, you like it or you don't like it. it you kind of have a better sense of if it's your thing or not. Uh, but I can see the appeal. I can see why it is such a favored activity and that um, they're really doing it well and coming back very strong after that pandemic. And everybody seems just really joyful to be here. And that there's a whole kind of culture to cruising and how they move and relocate the ships. Uh, between seasons to really protect the ships um, from hurricanes and other storms, which these um, boats obviously can withstand a certain amount, but they can, I'm sure uh, would not be particularly pleasant. So they um, really, from everything I've read and understand about it, go out of their way to get the ships out of the way of, of weather and make those uh, changes to scheduling as as needed to um, put the safety of the passengers and the crew first and foremost uh, but it's it's a it's a great way to cover a lot of ground and and see see things and also just be out on the ocean uh, is quite um, pleasant it's just very relaxing and then taking in the various stops. And I think that's part of the thing is that there's just, there's so much going on and there's so many uh, places to go that it is really just about pacing yourself and knowing that much like the open buffet, you don't need more than just what fits on your plate and make a plate and eat a meal. And that's all it needs to be. And with all of the many destinations we go to, we don't need to get off the boat for everyone. We can just kind of curate our own tour and feel that at the end of it, we've paced ourselves and had a good time 
And in my case that I'm able to sort of manage all the other things that I'm doing. And it's a great time for us to be together. And it's just something that we've never done. And we've really never gone on vacation very much. Even when I was growing up, we would spend time with family. Um, she's from a large family, so her brothers and sisters and my cousins. Uh, and we had the benefit of having a summer house, which was amazing. But we'd go there. That was where we went. So it limited where we, we went. We went to see family, and much of my mom's family was either in Canada or in England. Or we went down to our beach house, which was amazing, and it's so much a privilege to be able to have had that summer experience and that place to go year after year after year. Uh, but there's something about going to new places as well that is quite joyful and something that I am appreciating. Even in my tri-city life, as I'm constantly in motion between New York and Colorado and Southern California, in some ways, those places have just become my, my home, and I often stay close to the house, and so I just go from home to home to home. But it's still very much the same people and the same experience, and it's so comfortable and so usual for me now that even though I know some people look at me like, oh, you travel constantly. It's like, yeah, but I'm going to very familiar places. There's something really nice about getting out and going to new places that I've really never seen before. And especially experiencing culture and history. And uh, I think the thing that I'm most interested in and uh, spending a bit more time since I'm doing language studies is doing a bit more immersion where I can be with people and in places where I can actually really take in those language studies and just accelerate them with real practice. But I still think I'll get more value out of doing that by just keeping my day-to-day -day studies doing the way that I'm doing it now in how I've been learning uh, Russian, Ukrainian, French, Spanish, German, and Dutch are all kind of in my uh, language studies. So I think the more time in I have in it, the faster that I will be able to master it when I actually get an immersion opportunity. So that's also next on my list. So in some ways, my transformation is still mid-transformation because my studies continue to evolve and I'll see where I land and where this summer project of GeoNAI takes me. But another level, I do feel like my transformation is feeling kind of complete. I feel that this sense of joy that I've been looking for is back and the sense of purpose and kind of knowing who my people are and where I like to spend my time and what I'm good at is all feeling very rooted once again, from feeling completely uprooted to reorganizing and resettling my life. I'm now coming up on three years from when everything just fell apart and it's been this journey to just put myself back together again, put my path back together again, and up-level and upskill and redirect myself. And I think that that's happening, and it's happening in good ways and ways that I'm sharing because I hope to inspire others to see that whatever's fallen apart or wherever you feel stuck, there's so many learning opportunities and resources and ways in which we can rebuild ourselves and further opportunities and identify areas of interest and, and learn things and that things are learnable if enough attention is paid to a particular question or build on each other and that the learning gets easier and easier even though parts of it 
may seem that they get steeper. Uh, they, a lot of the concepts really do build on themselves and the language of data science, spatial data science, technology. Uh, it starts to starts to make more sense and it starts to be more familiar. And same thing with even foreign languages. The more time into it, the more familiarity you have and then you just kind of build and refine. And that's where I'm finding that I'm just incredibly interested, curious, passionate, and have a purpose in that. And so wanting to be someone who can empower women and just empower others who are kind of wanting to find their way and looking for that support or that role model or that encouragement or that inspiration and be that person who can provide that for others. And now I stand as someone who would like to inspire others to take a closer look at going on a cruise. I had done a three-day weekend. Um, I was one stop down to Mexico uh, excursion over a decade ago, and that was as close to a cruise that I had ever been on. And it doesn't really, not on the same scale of this 12-day round the British Isles experience on the Regal Princess, which has over 3,500 people on it and as, as guests and over 1,300 crew members. So it is just at a completely different scale and well worth it. Absolutely well worth it. I highly recommend it to anybody if you have the opportunity. It's a lot of... It's a lot of everything. It's a lot of food. It's a lot of entertainment. It's a lot of places. So just take it all in stride, um, pace yourself. And what we did learn is actually, although it is a lot of money, uh, one of the takeaways that my cousin had is that because we did a last minute booking, it was way cheaper. It didn't include everything. So we didn't, I don't drink. So it didn't include a drink drinks package and neither does my mom. Uh, so there are things, people who will only come on a cruise for the drink package. So just look at it and figure out what it includes that you would need or what you can add on. But the last minute cruise deals are really, really cheap. I think the challenge for a lot of people is getting the time off of work for that many days uh, as a last minute uh plan. And so as we evolve into uh, remote work uh, for some of us. Um, that is a bit how I'm doing it, which is, is it a good thing that I get to bring my work on the cruise with me or not a good thing? Uh, it goes both ways. You definitely have to have a fair amount of self-discipline to know how to remove yourself from all of the potential activities. But if you can do it, it's worth it. And so if you are looking to get a better deal uh, look at the last minute deals because they are significantly less than what you would pay when you um, book in advance. Of, of course, I think if you book well, well in advance, you get uh, a, a more reasonable deal there. And I think then the prices kind of creep up and then they sort of drop as they look to get those last uh, rooms filled up. So do consider that if um, that's workable in your life, um, it's well worth it to do that. Now, don't forget that there's other expenses that you can rack up on board, whether it's at the casino or the spa or in crew appreciation or just extra add-ons. So I also bought the internet package. And so just know that your final price is going to have uh, a few more expenses than just the purchase, not to mention insurance and other things that um, are required uh, for pre-board. And, uh, you know, taking all things into account, though, it is a really nice vacation and, and uh, one that um, will meet their intention of making memories that last a lifetime. <laughs>